All right, great to see you out. Second service. We have covered a lot these last few weeks in our Ordinary People series. And I'll quickly review with you for just a second on this. On November 10th, a couple weeks ago, we looked at serving our community. And we talked about many different ways that we can reach our community for Christ through God's power. And out in the lobby today, there's a table where you can still sign up for some of our local outreach opportunities. And uh, if you're interested in ministries that are related to worship services, uh, there's some options for that. If you're interested in ministries that are unrelated to worship services, there are some things out there for that as well. Uh, And the global mission stuff that I referenced a minute ago. Uh, There are also uh, some information sheets and sign-up sheets for all of the mission trips that we introduced at the Serve Banquet last Sunday night. Yeah, so I hope you will stop by and see what all's out there. Uh, today we're headed to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking today at personal outreach, serving my neighbor. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going. The way that we define neighbor will also define how we live out personal outreach. And yeah, we're going to see a question today from Luke 10 that a lawyer once asked Jesus, uh, and who is my neighbor? So we're in Luke chapter 10, and verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. Now, if you are a lawyer, that is the best thing you could possibly hear. Right? You have answered right. Uh, Jesus says to the lawyer, Listen, uh, the Old Testament, uh, everything in the Old Testament... What's it all mean? Boil it down for me. The lawyer said, well, you're supposed to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's exactly how Jesus boiled it down. So Jesus said, you've answered right. He said, this do, and thou shalt live. Uh, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's where Jesus told this story that maybe you've heard before. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him? that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go 
and do thou likewise. Now, this is one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. You know, a man's robbed and left for dead by a band of thieves. Two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, both go out of their way to accomplish nothing. And that is the model that Jesus gives us of religion. Religion goes out of its way to accomplish nothing. Right? You have all these rules. We have all these things we're supposed to do. Got to check all these boxes. And what have we accomplished through all of this? Nothing. Right? And, and so Jesus is portraying for us uh, that religion in itself, man-made religion, does not work. It accomplishes nothing. And then a Samaritan comes by. Samaritans were cultural outcasts. They were hated by the Jews. The Samaritan stops everything to show compassion. And suddenly, the lawyer and every other person present clearly understood the meaning of neighbor. Now, there are three basic rules that Jesus gives us to navigate relationships with other human beings. And they're all important, and I'm sure you've heard of, of some of these rules. First of all, there's what's sometimes called the golden rule. You guys remember this? Probably from first, second grade. Treat other people like you want to be treated. Right? That's the golden rule. It is a common sense principle. And Jesus gave it, and since he gave it, it has been thrown into every belief system on the planet. The golden rule is a basic in the human relationship experience. Uh, then there's what we might call the platinum rule. Okay, now the platinum rule is the one that Jesus gave to his disciples the night before he was crucified. Here's the platinum rule. Treat others as Jesus treated you. That's pretty powerful. Treat others as Jesus treated you. Love one another as I have loved you. And there is absolutely no higher ethic that can ever be practiced than that rule. But then there's the one we're looking at today, which is the neighbor rule. Okay, and this isn't a Mr. Rogers thing. This is actually a Bible thing. Um, the neighbor rule. But Mr. Rogers did do pretty good with the neighbor stuff, right? How many of you grew up when you saw Mr. Rogers? Okay, how many of you have no idea who Mr. Rogers is? Okay, a few of you. Yeah. <laughs> But here's the neighbor rule. Treat another person as if you were in his exact situation. Treat another person as if you were in his exact situation. Put yourself in the other person's sandals and discern how you would like to be treated. And we already read the wisdom that Jesus gave in defining neighbor for the skeptical lawyer. And think of the great commandment that Jesus Expressed to all who followed him, and that the neighbor, or the not the neighbor, the lawyer confirmed. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat the other person as if you were in his or her exact situation. How would you want people to handle things if you were the one lying half dead on the Jericho Road? Right? Uh, how would you want people to handle things if you were the one with cancer? If you were the one with no hope? If you were the one that had stooped to begging? If you were the one who didn't have money for your next meal? If you were the one whose marriage was falling apart? If you were the one whose children were strained from God? 
This is possible to understand in theory, but it's so difficult to put into practice. In fact, it's impossible to put it into practice without the love of Christ in us. We can't do it. It's impossible. Loving as Jesus loved requires serving outside our areas of comfort. And unfortunately, we play the role of the priest or the Levite much more often than we play the role of the Good Samaritan. And there are so many excuses we use. And do you know that your excuses always sound good to you? That's why you tell them. Right? And you remember when you were a kid and you told your mom an excuse and she just looked at you like with this evil eye, like she saw right through you? And you remember when you told your teacher that the dog ate your homework? Right? And the teacher's like, yeah, right, I've heard that one before. And no, my dog really did eat my homework. I promise. And, it, and so these excuses that we come up with, they always sound good to us. And it, the excuses for not helping this guy. I, I don't, just don't have time right now. I'm so busy serving God. Right? You don't even understand how that sounds. Right? I'm so busy serving God, but I have no time for people. Uh, I, I don't have any medical training. I'm headed to an important meeting where we're going to discuss religious outreach. Look, I can't help every person that gets robbed on the side of the road. You can't expect me to risk getting a disease from somebody who's going to die anyway. My family needs my income. If I try to help, it'll just make things worse because I'm not qualified. That's a cop-out, too, that we use. Now, the truth is, in many instances, this is crazy, but we spend more time on coming up with the excuse than the time we would have spent actually just helping someone. Right? The enemy is doing everything possible in humanity to highlight our differences so that we will be uncomfortable in serving one another. Right? The enemy wants us all to think of how we're different instead of what we have in common. And if you look around the world today, uh, there are so many people who are pushing the differences. This is how we're different. This is how we're different. And, uh, and then it makes people uncomfortable to serve each other. Now, let me ask you some questions about this on your comfort level. Would you be uncomfortable serving people from different cultures? You don't have to answer out loud. Uh, just how would you feel about it? You walk up, and uh, somebody is on the side of the road, and it broken down, and they're wearing a turban. How do you feel about that? Uh, don't, don't say anything out loud. I want you to feel inside how you feel about this. What about people who have different beliefs than you do? Clearly, they are from a different culture and a different belief. How about people with a different background? Right? Some people are city folk and some people are country folk. Some people are pro canned cranberry sauce and some people are against canned cranberry sauce. How many of you are pro canned cranberry sauce? How many of you are against canned cranberry sauce? How many of you don't have an opinion? That's what normally happens at church. People are just like, I'm here, bless me. I have no opinions. All right. Now, how many of you, uh, how many of you are turkey people? You like turkey? Turkey, turkey? okay. Uh, has anybody ever had a tofu turkey? 
Anybody have a tone? One person back there. Sorry, sir. It's no good. How many of you like the white meat? How many of you like the dark meat? How many of you like whatever meat they give you? All right. Uh, now let's see. Uh, how many of you are pumpkin pie people? You pumpkin pie people with whipped cream on it? Am I going out on a limb here? Uh, how many people are pecan or pecan pie? Uh, just relax. You're from a different background, mister. I'm not called to serve people who say pecan. I, uh, we have differences. We're, we and the human race, we're different. We got different backgrounds, different cultures, different beliefs. How about this one? Different news channels. Can you serve somebody who thinks differently than you do politically. That's tough. Because in America, sometimes we raise our political values to the same level as our Christian values. And if we're not careful, we think they're one and the same thing. And they're actually not. Right? Uh, the Bible says in 1 John 5, this is the record that God has given to us, eternal life. This life is in being an American. No, this life is in his son. He that has the red, white, and blue has life. No, he that has the son has life. Could you be careful this Thanksgiving about bringing politics up at the dinner? Please, would you be careful of that? Um, because if, if we bring certain things up, we just hurt each other. And uh, you say, Pastor, you don't have opinions about politics? Oh, my goodness, I have lots of them. But if we're going to reach each other and help each other, we have to set aside our differences and find out how we're alike. We have different opinions and preferences. Even within Christianity, there are some people who think this is wrong. And some people are like, I never heard that's wrong. And uh, some people, well, we never would do it. Some people are like, well, we do. And uh, listen, we have all sorts of differences. And the deeper we sink into differences and allow the, the outside world to label us as our differences, the more we lose sight of our Christian responsibilities. I'm going to give you a sentence. This is the most important sentence of the message, this next sentence, right? So everybody perk your ears up. Some of you get clued back in just for this one sentence, then you go back to sleep. You haven't even had turkey yet. Why are you sleeping? It's next Sunday that you sleep, right? By the way, that does not give anyone permission to sleep next Sunday. Just throwing that out. Here's the sentence. The unsaved are not our enemies. They're not our enemies. They're our neighbors. And uh, we... If we're not careful, we buy into this system that says that people who don't think like us are enemies. They're not our enemies. They're our neighbors. They're people who Jesus died for. They're people who need Christ just as much as we do. And we know this in theory, but do we live it in practice? Yeah, I'm sure uh, if you had asked the priest and the Levite, a true or false quiz. You guys remember true or false quizzes? Weren't they fun in high school? Because you had a 50-50 chance. 
right? Like multiple choice, you only have a one out of four chance. Fill in the blank, you got to know the exact answer. Essay question, forget about it. But true or false, 50-50, pretty good. And so you get this, here they got the question one. Uh, God wants us to help people who have been wounded and left for dead. True or false? True. They both would have marked true. Uh, Question two, if we have the ability to help another person, we should deny the person help and walk around him. True or false? They both would have marked false. They knew the right answers, but they didn't live the right answers. And it's possible that we're living inside of that same area of conflict, that gray area that comes between being a hearer of the Word of God and a doer of the Word of God. By the way, when James said, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, you remember what the last part of the verse is? Be doers and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Ouch. What's it mean? It means, it's going to sound bad, you're not going to like it. It means that most people who think they're good neighbors aren't. Double ouch. James was acquainted with a lot of people that seemed to be religious, but they only ministered to people that could give them something in return. And when it came to people who had nothing to offer them, they passed by on the other side, just like the priest and the Levite in Jesus' story. Their religion was great in theory, but empty in practice. And, and here's where this speaks directly to us. And it speaks to me too. So when I say this stuff that I'm about to say, don't think that I'm just saying it to you, I'm saying it to me. Okay? Yeah, we could be all for missionaries going to preach the gospel. And we could be all for pastors preaching about evangelism. And all for the church having a ministry to help people in need. And yet, never personally take any action whatsoever to reach people for Christ or to help people in need. And if we're only willing to serve the people inside our area of comfort, then we are on the same awkward, pass by on the other side road as the priest on the Levi. See, if, if you're a new believer who needs a bulletin on Sunday morning, and it's in my zone, my comfort zone, I'm willing to shake your hand and give you one and tell you how to get to places in the building, but I'm not willing to step up and meet with you one-on-one on a Thursday morning for discipleship. I only study the Bible for myself. I never share what I've studied with anyone else. That's outside my area of comfort. If you have a broken marriage, I'm all for you getting that fixed. I'll even put you on my prayer list. But I'm not willing to meet with you and mentor you in your relationship through the decades of experience God's given me. That's outside my area of comfort. If you're a lost soul that's away from God and clearly burdened with the cares of this world, I'll tell the pastor he should meet with you. But I'm not gifted in sharing the gospel. That's outside my area of comfort. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan 
to help us understand where faith gets real. Who is my neighbor and what does God want me to do about it? And so it's possible, maybe even likely, that we need to change the way we think about outreach. And there's some ways that we have for in your notes today that it's possible we need to change. One of the ways is from self-centered to God-centered. From self-centered to God-centered. Church and religion and belief and even worship, if we're not careful, it can be all about me. What can this church do for me? How does worship make me feel? What can this Bible study do for me? What can this ministry do for my family? And that is not God-centered outreach. Listen to what God-centered outreach is. And if you want to look this one up, it's 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 and 8. And there's a part of it in verse 8 that you may want to underline if you want to look it up. It's so powerful. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me of his prisoner. Now listen to this. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. See, God-centered outreach means that you enter into the afflictions of others. You bear one another's burdens. You enter into the afflictions of bearing your cross. You enter into the sufferings of Christ. You live life on God's terms instead of your own. And your Christianity isn't seen through the lens of M-E. Your Christianity is seen through the lens of J-E-S-U-S. But I find so often in my life that my Christianity is seen through the lens of M-E. How does this affect me? How does it affect my schedule? How does it affect what I want to do? I told first service, um, I don't think, I'm... I think I'm 47. I think, I, I don't know, maybe. I've checked my birth certificate, but I think I'm 47. I don't think ever on Thanksgiving in my whole life that I have ever had a Thanksgiving where I have not seen any football. I don't think, I just got to thinking about it. I don't think I have any. And, and yet, this Thursday, I'm going to be in New Delhi eating stuff that I probably don't want to eat so that I can help some pastors who need help. And uh, man, then I got to thinking about, I probably won't even make it back for the BSU game on Friday. Probably get in too late for that. And, uh, and then I all of a sudden thought, I wonder if that means that my Christianity is about me. Now that happened to me. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. Like I don't know if you've ever thought, I wonder if my Christianity is too tied to my comfort zone and my wants and my needs and my feelings, my emotions, right? Feelings and emotions, that's a big 2019 thing. But if we're not careful, that's what it's tied to. It's all about me and it's not about Jesus. And so I have to shift my thinking. Here's the next one. We must shift our thinking from local to global. 
And I won't spend too much time here because we have covered this ground in this series. Uh, Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. God loves the whole world. He wants all nations to seek after him. And our job isn't done until all nations and peoples and races and tongues have heard. And then we must shift our thinking from disconnected to connected. Okay, this, this one is so important. We have to shift our thinking from disconnected to connected. If you follow the ministry of Jesus, you constantly see personal connection with people in need. Right? Jesus sat with the woman at the well. He walked with two discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus. He wept over Mary and Martha's grief over their brother Lazarus who had died. He made breakfast for Peter to renew his life after he had denied three times that he even knew Jesus. I realize that there are some areas of outreach that are going to have to be done without a personal connection, but the Jesus model is personal connection. Being willing to sit down with someone in a personal way and share with each other what's going on in life. Now, this is foreign to a lot of people in this modern generation. Like, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? We have more connectivity in the human race than we've ever had. But we have less connection. There's connectivity everywhere, right? You may have 532 Facebook friends, but not really be connected to anyone. And we have to find a place of connection with each other in the human race. Jesus, he goes out to the shore. He's already risen from the tomb. And Peter's He's so upset. You denied Christ. He's not called to be a preacher. He's a fisherman. He messed up. So he takes his clothes off and goes out in the Sea of Galilee to go fishing. And he gets some other guys to go with him. And they're all running from God. They're all upset. And all of a sudden, they see this guy on the shore. He says, uh, hey, come and dine. I just start rowing in. Somebody's making us breakfast. And they get up to the shore, and it's Jesus. Peter, who had just denied Jesus three times, has Jesus making breakfast. Is that where we're at, right? If somebody makes three negative comments about us on Twitter, we write them off the face of the earth. Jesus has called us to a different ethic, a different model. And loving our neighbor is a personal thing. It's a personal connection. Uh, We have to get back to personal connection. And I realize, listen, there's some places where we serve where there can't be a personal connection. We, We give to support missionaries in many places where we can't personally go. Uh, But we expect them to make one-on-one connections. Sometimes we distribute literature to people who we don't know because our interactions are brief and we want them to have the good news in their hands. But the most effective ministry that we can ever do happens through personal connections. 
And when we say, God, I'm willing to personally interact with people you sent my way, God will send lots of people your way. God will facilitate all sorts of connections for you to have. If you're willing to submit to his leading and connect with people, then we must shift our thinking from temporary to eternal. From temporary to eternal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus said in Luke 9, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't live for the temporal and the eternal at the same time. No man can serve two masters. You have to be focused on one or the other. Paul told Timothy, and this is so profound, uh, Paul told Timothy, no man going to war entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Right? If you're going to war, you don't go down the night before and buy a recliner because you can't take it with you. You don't go down and buy a KitchenAid mixer. You can't take it with you. Uh, so Paul said, listen, Anybody who's going to war knows that you don't entangle yourself with things that will not help your mission. And yet, as Christians, we entangle ourselves all the time with things that don't help our mission, with things that are so tied to the here and now. And when we get entangled with the comforts and the cares of this world, it damages our ability to serve our neighbors. Our schedules get too full. We get overburdened by the, the cares of our own life, and we can't serve people. When we get entangled in debt, it affects our ability to give to eternal purposes and to invest in the gospel. When we get entangled in the entertainment scene, we buy into the same amusements as everybody else around us, and, and then nothing stands out that makes us any different than the culture. When we get entangled in substances and abuse them, they end up abusing us and our testimony for Christ. And so we have to shift our thinking from temporal to eternal. We also need to shift our thinking from security to service. We talked earlier about serving outside our areas of comfort, leaving the place of security to serve our neighbors. Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It takes a little bit of faith to walk out of security into service. There are a lot of unknowns. When the Samaritan knelt over the broken body of the man on the Jericho Road, there were a lot of unknowns. But he was willing to move into the unknown to serve his neighbor. And if you want to serve God, there are going to be a lot of I've never been here before moments. I've never been on this street. I've never been in this environment. I've never been in this culture. I've never faced this difficulty. I've never seen something so messy. But God's got this. And I'm going to step outside of my comfort and security to serve. Set aside your fears and allow God to honor your faith. And by the way, if there's one thing God always honors, 
it is authentic faith. Always. Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done. According to your faith. Then we must shift our thinking from competing to cooperating. From competing to cooperating. There is no gospel preaching person who is my enemy. If somebody's preaching Jesus by grace through faith, anywhere, anytime, any stripe, even polka dotted, I'm for it. We have enough enemies without making brothers and sisters in God's family into our enemies. And we can't co cooperate at the same level in every situation. But when it comes to working with other believers, there's always some type of common ground. In the tiny letter of 3 John, Jesus' disciple John was almost 100 years old. He's at the end of his life. And he told one of his young disciples, a, a, a man named Gaius, he, he said, listen, you should help other believers move forward on their journey, that they should be fellow helpers to the truth. Now, that has to be our mindset. In any way we can, let's help move others forward on their journey. Even if we disagree on some things, even if the person said something negative about our family or our church, even the person has a personality that's like sandpaper with our personality, cooperate. Don't compete. By the way, that's good advice for all relationships. Cooperate. Don't compete. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, gotten into a rut, or maybe early in your marriage, where you compete with your spouse on which one of you dried the most dishes, right? Or which one of you has changed the most diapers recently, right? Or which one of you was the last one who scooped the dog stuff out in the backyard? Uh, competition does not work in relationships, right? Cooperation does, though. Cooperation is where we find God's gifts to each other. And, and so, uh, that's, that part's free, the relationship stuff. It has nothing to do with the message. I just thought I'd throw it in for you. Uh, but after we've allowed God to change the way we think about our neighbors, we need to get to the work of sharing his truth. And today I want to give you a new acrostic for personal outreach. Uh, we have a, an acrostic for global outreach. It's called Peace that we shared last week. Two weeks ago, we shared our acrostic for local outreach. It's called Serve. It's on the wall as you go out. And uh, today is our new acrostic called uh, Share. And uh, so let's get, get into this. S, start relationships. That's the Jesus model. Yeah, Jesus goes and sits down next to people. That's the model from the book of Acts. Paul goes to a new city. He walks down by the river to talk to people. That's even the model from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. When he came to the people at Tel Aviv, I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. Relationships are the path to spiritual influence. Okay, you don't have spiritual influence with strangers. It's just, just a fact. Okay, you, you could be a, a person who has preached for decades, who has served God for decades, and if you meet another human for the first time, you know how much influence you have with them? Zero. You have to form a relationship first. Got to be a relationship. And so start relationships. Letter H, hear stories. Hear stories. When you listen to people's stories, you gain influence with them. And you allow the Holy Spirit to show you how you can move them closer to God. 
People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. How do people know we care? We take the time to listen to them. Their experiences are important when it comes to finding the key to their hearts. And if we don't ever want to listen to any other people, we will never gain influence. Because they think we don't care. The letter A is answer questions. 1 Peter 3.15 reminds us that we should be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope we have in Jesus. And many people aren't, uh, many people around us, they're not deeply skeptical of the Bible, but some are. Uh, They've heard some crazy things from teachers or the internet or even churches, and and they want to hear why you believe God's Word is true. They want to hear how Jesus has changed your life. They want to know why Christianity is real to you. Let me give you a a sample answer on this. Uh, Somebody says to you, oh, you're a Christian. Uh, Well, I've heard the Bible was written by man. It has lots of errors. Why do you believe it's true? Okay, so I want you to everybody think about what you're going to say to this person, okay? Heard the Bible has lots of errors, written by man. Why do you believe it's true? What they're really saying is, I think you're an idiot, prove me wrong. Okay, has anybody ever said that to you in so many words? I think you're an idiot, prove me wrong. Uh, So here's how I would answer. I'd say, well, listen, there was a man named Jesus who predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he died and rose again. And he said the Bible is true. And then his disciples, who saw him alive after his crucifixion, were willing to give their lives to confirm the story was true. That's why I think the Bible is true. And, and so you answer their questions. And I, let me just share with you, you don't ever have to be afraid of questions when you have the truth. All right, you got the truth, don't be afraid. We're promised that the Spirit of God will tell us what to say in those moments. Letter R is reveal the gospel. Every Christian should have basic scriptural knowledge on how to introduce another person to Christ. And if you don't, we cover that in Next Step 401, and we're actually doing a 401 on December 8th, so you can mark that down. Uh, We also cover that in spiritual life coaching, which we call Class 501. Uh, Until you know how to lead another person to Christ, though, I'll give you a little practical tip. Uh, Just keep a a gospel track in your wallet so that you can just read it. You can read it to another person and say, listen, I don't know a lot, but this is how I got saved, and pull it out and start reading it. And by the way, it's good to keep some good gospel tracks with you. We have some Beautiful tracks at Connection Point that say peace on the front, and, and they're good to share. If you want to give some money to a person who's in need on the street corner, give them money inside of a track. Uh, if you're willing to be nice to a, a server and willing to give a generous tip at the restaurant, you can put the tip inside the gospel track. If you're not going to leave a tip, don't leave a track. Uh, okay? Maybe there's some people that you give Christmas cards to that you'd like to put uh, in a gospel track and a paragraph on how uh, God's gift of Christmas has changed your life. Uh, If you'd like to know more about gospel literature, we're going to have some folks uh, out in the lobby afterward from the neighborhood evangelism team that could give you ideas on tracks in your Christmas cards. But but tracks can be a great tool, but I want you to remember this. And please, 
please, could I caution you this? This is so important. The gospel is best shared and most effective in a connected, not a disconnected way. Okay? It doesn't mean that if you leave tracks on the top of a urinal in restrooms that somebody couldn't possibly read that and go to heaven. Maybe they could, but that's a little strange. The gospel is best given in a connected, not disconnected way. Does everybody understand what I'm saying about this? Right? You say, Pastor, you're just... I have seen, I promise you, I have seen in America hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gospel tracts that have been thrown down on the ground. It's different in different countries where you, they just take it and read it right away. you got to connect with people. And every believer should be able to tell another person how to receive salvation as the Holy Spirit leads you in that connection. Letter E is expect God to work. Since God loves the world and since Jesus died for the world and since God doesn't want anyone to perish, we can expect God to work in lives. We can boldly bring our requests for the lost to the throne of God. God loves these people more than we ever could. And so pray for the lost, if possible, by name. Expect God to work. There's a great quote from Bob Jones Sr. Attempt great things for God Expect great things from God. Uh, I love to read the journal of a guy named George Mueller who lived back in the 1800s. And if you've never read his journal, try to get your hands on it. What a man of prayer. Uh, Mueller expected that every day he would receive an answer in prayer. And God worked in his orphanages again and again and again over decades of time. Well, Well, Mueller had five friends that he grew up with Uh, who were far from God. And in his early adulthood, he began to pray for those guys every day by name. And after many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Adam Mueller kept praying until his death for the fifth friend. For 52 years, he prayed every day. And his faith was rewarded soon after Mueller's funeral. His fifth friend gave his life to Christ. Would you be willing to think right now of the person you know who seems the farthest from God? I'm not asking you who you think is close to becoming a believer. I'm saying think of the person you know who is the farthest from God. They're the most unlikely person you can think of who would ever come to God. Maybe there's more than one that you're thinking about. Would you be willing to bring that person before the throne of God and expect God to work? Pray every day for that person to be saved. I have five people that I'm praying for every morning in my devotions, every night before I go to sleep, that they'll be saved. And so far, none of them has been saved that I know of. But I'm not going to stop. I'm expecting God to work. It's possible, though, I want to caution you, it's possible that God will allow me to be the part of the process that helps them come to God. See, I can't pray disconnected either. I can't say, God, I want you to save this guy, but I'm not willing to talk to him. i got to be willing to be part of the connection. Right? This is big. It's part of faith. 
If I'm going to put feet to my faith, I can't just expect God to send somebody else his way. So I've got to expect God to work because God loves people more than we do. Jesus died for them. He wants a relationship with them. And so there it is. Start relationships. Hear stories. Answer questions. Reveal the gospel. Expect God to work. And what if we go out this week and treat other people as if we were in their exact situation? What if we allow God to move us outside our areas of comfort to accomplish his will? Let's bring these things to God right now. God, you love the world so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place. Now, that's such good news. But how will our neighbors hear the good news if we don't tell them, if we selfishly stay in our areas of comfort, if we never share your truth with them? I pray that you'd awaken our hearts today, that you'd impress upon us people who need you. Make us willing to pray and to share. And help us to shift our thinking and love like you love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.